God speak to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's amazing what just reading the Bible does for a group of people out loud. This is the word of God. He wrote this book, How We Know Him. We're going to talk about today is through this book. And we actually need each other to help us even interpret this book and what it means. That's what we're trying to do today is jump into this letter, uh, one of the books of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing a letter to a church in Corinth that he planted in a really, really hard town. And the word, man, I had a conversation with someone after the first service. Um, we did coffee and questions and, and um, I told them, I said, hey, just don't, just try not to bring any really hard questions to me. And I don't know if they just didn't listen or, but it was a couple of the hardest ones. And I just was reminded in that moment how sweet it is for how much we need each other to even understand and interpret the, the Bible. We need to do that together. And uh, we need preachers, teachers, we need each other to help us even understand what's going on in this book. And today we need it. We've got two verses, but man, they're packed full of stuff. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna pray for you. You pray for me, and let's both pray that God the Holy Spirit will fill up the room right now, that we will experience his presence now like we do when we sing and worship together. Can we do that? Okay, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. We ask for the power of God in this room right now, Lord. We realize, we recognize that we are totally wasting our time without your presence and your power. We pray that right now, the word, which we know is true, you said it's true, the word would not return void and that, would, that you would do what only you can do and that, that is that you would, uh, we agree with Paul, that you would wake us up, awake, O oh sleeper. That's what we pray in this room, that we would be full of the power and the presence, the manifest presence of God now, that the word would divide the human heart, that it would pierce and that we would learn how to follow you and that we would surrender. And it wouldn't just be through eloquent speech, it would be through your power and your presence. So help us divide it rightly in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my name is Ben, I'm the lead pastor here. I'm grateful that you're here with us. You may have questions um, after the service, man, we'll be in that chapel right there by the community group wall. We'll have coffee for you guys. Um, and I'll, I'll do my best to answer any questions that you have. Zach will be there with me as well, and we will do our best. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, ironically, um, is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to a church in a town called Corinth. Corinth was a crazy place. It was all kinds of things happening there. They worshiped all kinds of things that weren't God. They worshiped human bodies. They worshiped sex. 
um, heterosexual, homosexual. Uh, temples had temple prostitutes. They worshiped greed. They worshiped knowledge. They worshiped uh, culture wisdom. They worshiped it so much that Paul has to come in now and address it. And in the middle of a town that has been described as both Vegas, all three, Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York combined in one, the Romans, the Greeks, and the Jew, God sees fit through Paul to plant a city within a city, a church. That's what the church is. It's a town within a town, except this church, this town, has a different mayor, has a different governor and president. Jesus is the head of the body. So the town within a town is set apart to Jesus. He's the one that directs this town. And so now in Corinth, this crazy city, God plants a city that needs to look like him, to needs to look like it's ruled by him. And the irony is, is what God does in his ruling is actually more satisfying than what everyone else is trying to chase down. That's the irony. Jesus has done the math. He's the only one that's existed forever. He knows what satisfies us. He's looked around. There's nothing else that's gonna satisfy us at all. And the people in Corinth and the people here in Shawnee and in other parts of the world are chasing their tail trying to find satisfaction. And God comes right in the middle of this crazy town who's worshiping everything but him and says, let me show you what to worship. Let me show you what satisfies. Here's a church after me, for me. That church was planted there to disciple the town around them, but what was happening was the town around them, the culture around them was discipling them. So Paul comes in and he says, hey, listen to me, you've forgotten, he's writing a letter, he's saying this, this is the theme, really, of all of Corinthians, but especially today, it's this one thing, you forgot who you are. You totally forgot, Christian, church, city within a city, a city set on a hill, a missional outpost cannot be hidden. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten exactly what God has done and how he has set you apart from the world around you. And we need remembering today. I'm forgetful. Anybody else? Nobody else? If you feel forgetful even in the slightest, say amen. Okay, that's literally everybody. I'm forgetful, so are you. We are forgetful, man, I struggle. Just any staff member in the church that wants to testify about how forgetful I can be at times, they can have a long conversation with you. I forget who I am. On a heart level, I forget I'm set apart. And when Paul would come in and say, you have been called set apart, and now he says you are washed, sanctified, and justified. In Ephesians 4, I think it says it best, therefore, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You forgot who you are, and how I know that you forgot who you are is because the way that you are living your life. That's what he's saying to Corinth, and that's what he would say to us today. This is not a message about sexuality today. This is not a message necessarily about just sin. What today is, the core issue of today core issue with the Corinthian church and the core issue with us today is our forgotten identity. We have totally forgotten who we are. 
And so are they. They have saints acting like not saints. Righteous in Christ acting like not righteous. Followers of Jesus acting like followers of the world, which means they were aimless, wandering in the wilderness without any trust or devotion to God. It's the same story over and over for us as the people of God. If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know there's a story about the people of God way back in the Old Testament in a book called Exodus. They were under Pharaoh, slaves for 400 plus years under Pharaoh. And they would cry all the time, God, come deliver us. We are your people set apart for you. And God finally did deliver them. He sent Moses, the mediator, to set them free. And they get out into the wilderness. They rejoice because they're set free. And they get out into the wilderness. And God provided them water through a rock, bread from heaven, a cloud of fire by day to lead them. He provided all kinds of stuff for them. God was the provider. And the second that they start thinking to themselves, I wonder if God's gonna provide me, what did they say? They said it would be better for us to go back to slavery because at least then we will know where bread's coming from. They forgot who they are. We do the same thing. Aimless, wandering in the desert, the Corinthian church had done that very much so. They just forgot God gives water out of stones. This is the same Jesus that stood up in the boat and calmed the sea. Even nature submits to him. We forgot. And you are bought by him, purchased by him. You've forgotten just exactly who you are, a son now of God, a daughter of God. And the way, again, that I can tell is because of the way that you're living. You're living like a slave. The charge today for us is to confront our gospel amnesia and to remember who you are. Remember. Romans, I'm sorry, Stephen Um says this. Stephen Um has been very helpful uh, for me as just a commentator on, um, on this book, 1 Corinthians. It says this, ultimately, the Corinthians are conducting themselves as though their God-given identity is of no importance. They are forgetting the gospel. They are failing to be what they are. They are saints, but they're acting like non-saints. They're righteous, but they're living as though they were unrighteous. The result is that their community, which is to be a present glimpse of future community that God intends for the world, the result is that it has nothing to offer. They have no means of displaying the way a gospel shapes a community. They're not learning new identity. They are relearning their given identity in Christ. Now Romans 13, besides this You know the time that the hour has come, listen, for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So here's where we are today. Remember who you are. Here is the actionable. Put on Christ. Put him on. 
Put on Christ. Uh, chapter 6, verse 7, which deals with lawsuits in the church. This is the chapter, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, chapter 6, 1 through uh, 8. These are lawsuits in the church. We're in 9 through 11. And in verse 7, I think, really is the catalyst for what Paul would say, especially when it comes to putting on Christ. There are lawsuits. People are suing each other over trivial, stupid stuff. They won't go to each other or give each other the benefit of a doubt, and they for sure won't do what Paul says in Romans 12, which is outdo one another in showing honor. And he says this to them, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You have already lost. The second that you think I should sue them, my brother or sister, for these trivial things that could be worked out if you just honored each other, if you just would give each other the benefit of a doubt and act like Christians, you've already lost. Doesn't matter what the ruling is, doesn't matter what the verdict is, doesn't matter if you get what you think is owed you, you've lost when you approach it that way. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Again, this is the same man that says put on Christ. Why not rather suffer? Why not rather be defrauded? You know why? Putting on Christ means this. Christ suffered. Christ was defrauded. Jesus was wronged more than any of us. Jesus endured. Jesus didn't say an eye for an eye. Sometimes I think in Oklahoma, especially in the South where I grew up, we get this a little twisted. Eye for an eye. I remember sitting around uh, my grandpa's dinner table. I had an uncle with me. And just the culture he grew up in, and I was eating dinner. This was years ago. And my uncle says to me, this is so silly. He says, you know, it says in the good book that if a man hits you on one side of the cheek, then you ought not let him hit you on the other side. I dropped my fork. I said, I haven't really, I told him this, I haven't really paid much attention to what you've been saying so far, but I'm a little interested now because what you just said is literally the direct opposite of what the Bible says. And he goes, well, you know what I mean. I said, I, I know what you said. I know this book says something totally different than what you just said. He goes, well, you know. I said, I don't, I actually don't know, Uncle Russell. I have no idea what is happening right now. I know I want to stop eating. I'm a little disgusted, but <laughs> here's what Jesus says. Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Man, the way of Jesus is upside down. Jesus' life and example helps us recenter our thinking. We need it, they needed it. We struggle to remember the gospel, who we belong for, for, to, and therefore we struggle to remember who we are. We forget what Jesus has done. We're so forgetful, we always face threats at every angle to pull our minds and hearts 
and lives away from the identity we've been given in Christ. We are up against it. We have an enemy that hates us. We also have our own filters and self-deception because we live in a cursed and broken world. And then there's the whole culture around us that's just eaten up with that fact that is dog eat dog. And after their thing, we've got that pulling against us too. But here is the good news today. Christ is not weak. He's not. He's stronger than all of it. And the best news is that he's the one that preserves us. We do not preserve him. Christ saves you to the uttermost, if you are in fact saved, to the uttermost, and that's an eternal thing. And then he preserves us and keeps us. You being here today is actually evidence that God is preserving you right now. Why did you wake up this morning? Why did you come? Did you just have the thought? Who gave you the thought? Do you happen to be here visiting someone? How did that work out? <laughs> How did that plan out? God, if you're in Christ, sovereign over it all. And guess what, even if you're not in Christ, he's still sovereign. You being here today is evidence of God's preservation in your life. We need to let the Bible realign us to the gospel today. We need to identify with these words, wake up, wake up. Remember who you are, wake up today. All right, let's read verses nine through 11 again. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We all need remembrance. We all need to preserve our mind when it comes to who we are, remembering the gospel. When we forget the gospel, that's called gospel amnesia. We just forget it. And there are threats to our gospel identity. So today, I think we need to point out a couple things, a couple threats to us so that we can be warned about them. There are two phrases that Paul repeats over and over again. The first is this, do you not know? Do you not know? He says it six times in this one chapter in chapter six and then multiple times in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know? It's not Paul being cute. Paul is literally saying, you don't know. One of the first, and, and the first for us and one of the most dominant threats to our gospel amnesia, to us remembering who we are, is just the fact of ignorance. We just don't know. And how is it that we can know? There are ways that we can know. The Bible, the church, teachers and preachers, etc., and community. But there's sincerity here in Paul's voice. He's concerned with their lack of knowledge. He says it to them multiple times. In earlier chapters, he says, you have need of milk. You should know things. You should be eating meat, but you have need of milk again. Our not knowing is a threat to our gospel identity. They have looked for knowledge 
outside of these proper places that God has put before them. They've looked for knowledge in culture. They've looked for knowledge with the Greeks, with the Romans, even with the Jews. Paul comes and says, do you not know? Do you not know? Let's relearn together. Let's open our brain. Let's open our heart. And let's learn. Ephesians 4, I think, helps us uh, the most in verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, Gentiles, for those of you new to the Bible, would just simply in our context mean people who are not Christian. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have, been, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Listen to this. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to do what? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on Christ. Put him on. You forgot what that is. You forgot who you are. You learned him in a way, maybe you have forgotten exactly how you learned him, but a threat to our gospel identity is just simply not knowing. Let's position ourselves in a way to learn God and then learn who we are in light of him. Well, how do we do that? The first and foremost is this book. This book. This is a book that God wrote to reveal himself to us, to reveal, reveal his purposes to us. We need it. It happens a lot that I hear and that I tell myself, I just am not hearing from God right now. I don't hear from him. He's not close to me. I just don't hear from the Lord. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you read his letter to you? I don't know, pastor. I'm preaching myself. I'm paid in some ways to like, this is my job to read and teach this book and I struggle with it. How do we know God? He gave us a book. This is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We need it. It's life. It has a heartbeat. It gets into our bloodstream. It helps change the way that we live and think and move and have our being and, and now it becomes under him, he's the authority over our life. It's like we learn things about him in this book. Also, we need each other. This is a new concept in the Bible Belt because we're so opposed to needing each other at all that what we do is we would say, yes, it's not good to isolate yourself. We believe that as a concept. I don't even think it's good to just isolate yourself just into this. The way that Jesus has designed, the way that God has designed the church as Jesus, the head of the body, we actually need each other to even interpret this and know this right. We need each other to do that. We need accountability. We need access. If I go into my room, which you should do, you should totally do this, and, and I listen to a certain way to teach this, or I read it in a certain way, depending on the mood I'm in that day, then there's no telling how I'm going to interpret it. We need each other. We need the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word. We need to submit one to another. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church community, listen to me. Church community is important. 
Usually what happens is we run away from it right when people get to know who we actually are or we avoid it. I want to invite you, stay in it. You need it. It's God's design for how we know each other and therefore how we read this and we're accountable to this. That's why we open it in community groups so much. The church gathered is another way, sitting under the preaching of the word. Again, I'm preaching to myself. There is an idea in Bible Belt in America that the pastor has somehow cornered the market on all of this, that he is, should live perfect because he's the one telling us about it. Therefore, he, has, he must have perfectly figured out how to be a Christian. It's not true. I have a role in the church just like you have. I need preparing for sermons. I need it, I bet you, at least as much, if not more, than anybody else in this whole church. I need this. I need to be able to go to people and say, hey, I feel crazy. Can you help me understand this thing? <laughs> I do that every time I prepare for a sermon, by the way. I don't just sit by myself and say, God, will you show me all of these insights? I actually do pray for insights, but I also need the help of other people who have insight as well. Those are called commentaries. <laughs> we would have some really bad sermons if there weren't multiple commentaries read by me every week. I promise you that. We need the Bible, we need the church, we need teachers and preachers, we need community. That's the remedy for our ignorance because ignorance leads to a lack of gospel identity. We need it. The second is this, deception. Two phrases, do you not know? And then also, do not be deceived. Not knowing, and the second is deception. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Deception is the oldest and best trick in the book. It's how the fall happened. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and he says this thing to them. He says, did God actually say that if you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you would die? And then Eve, who knew God, knew the whole story. She goes, yes, he said this, and he said we will die, and we can eat of any tree except that one because we will surely die, no question asked. And then deception comes in, and the enemy, the serpent, says you will not surely die. God's a liar. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. He doesn't want you to have what he has. He doesn't want you to have control like he has it. Deception is the oldest trick in the book. We're deceived by ourselves. That's called self-deception. We tell ourselves a story and kind of gossip to ourselves a little bit. Convince ourselves of lies that they're actually truth when they're not. We're deceived by others for enticement and fake joy in a world that's constantly chasing its tail to try to find happiness. The best way for someone to be proven right is just for other people to agree with them. And then ultimately by our adversary, the devil, who is the great deceiver. Here we have Paul pointing out and recentering our minds he says this to them, you are deceived, you are. I can tell by the way that you live. Take notice, turn back 
Believe the gospel again. You forgot who you are because you've been deceived. Repent. These things that you are practicing with no repentance or conviction are deadly and are not how a Christ follower should act. So let's go through these nine things. Nine sins that Paul lists. By the way, this isn't a random list. It's a list that particularly plagued the Corinthians, but also plagues us today. The first is this sexually immoral. That anyone who has any form of sexual intercourse outside the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. Second, idolaters. The worship of any gods that aren't Jesus. I'm not talking about statues, that for sure is idolatry. I'm talking about things like money, job, family, dreams, a spouse, a career, a status, country you live in, etc. Anything that's not Jesus, the worship of it. Adulterers, number three, married people who have sex with someone other than their spouse. Number four, men or women who practice homosexuality. Notice this, practice homosexuality and circle that. He is not speaking to those who are same-sex attracted, but those who act. Paul is talking about actions, not inclinations, not orientations, or desires. If you are in this church and you struggle with same-sex attraction, or you're trying to follow Jesus, we love you. We're honored that you're here. We want to walk with you. Thieves, people who steal or take something that doesn't belong to them. Greedy, that means lovers of money, but more than that, lovers of any type of thing where they can never be satisfied with what they have. Drunkards, abusing alcohol to more than a treat, becoming drunk repeatedly. Revilers, literally this term means the verbal abuser. Criticizing in an abusive matter or spreading lies. And then finally, swindlers, cheating others and being unfair. It's easy for us in this part of the world to major on the things that we don't personally struggle with. It might be hard for you to see it as five sexual sins and then five non-sexual. It might be hard for us to put greediness in the same category as sexual immorality. It's because that's what we struggle with. Paul lists them all the same. All in the same category, the ones that we would call severe right next to the ones that we would say are not as big a deal. Let me tell you what Paul is not here to do. Paul is not here talking about isolated acts of sin. He's not. Paul isn't talking to the person who sins but hates their sin and wishes they didn't and wants to follow Jesus but struggles with it. Paul's not talking about that person. That would eliminate everybody in this whole room. Who Paul is talking to is the unrepentant person, the person who has chosen to live a lifestyle in direct rebellion to God's authority. The one who's believed the lie in the garden that they will not surely die. If they eat of the tree of desire, they won't die. Essentially have believed that God is a liar, I don't have to listen to him, or I only have to listen to him so far as I want to go. This person is the one that's constantly swindling, constantly manipulating God's words or anything else to justify doing exactly what they want without any authority. Paul says, 
Do not be deceived. And there's no way around this. This is very direct from Paul. Do not be deceived. I, he tells us that because it's easy for us to be deceived or to twist the words or to whatever. Do not be deceived. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrepentant, the not humble, the one who lives in such a way that would say they don't believe in God as authority, much less submit to him. Klein Snodgrass said it this way in a book called Who God Says You Are. Let's get something straight right from the beginning. If you do not act like a Christian, you are not a Christian. Yes, I'm willing to die on that hill. There is no such thing as an identity that does not act. If you do not treat people, especially spouses and other family members, from and with Christian values, there is serious doubt that you are a Christian. And no, I do not believe in salvation by works. But I do know that faith involves attachment to and participation with Christ. And if that is the case, you cannot be attached to Christ without acting in accord with his character to some large extent. Identity informs behavior. What's the remedy? What's the remedy for gospel amnesia? It's gospel remembrance. Verse 11, hold on to this, man. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Not who you are anymore by the grace of God. You've been washed, Paul says. You've been washed. That means made clean. That means spotless now. You know who was actually spotless? Jesus didn't sin not a single time, was never a reviler, was never sexually immoral, was never none of these things, a drunkard or greedy. He was never any of that. We have been those things. Jesus was not. Jesus was totally perfect. This is the gospel. You weren't, he was. We needed him to be. He had to be. There was no other way. Even our righteousness is like filthy rags, according to the Bible. We were dirty with sin, covered in it. We had died, according to the Bible. But Jesus came and made us alive. And now because Jesus did what we couldn't do, and because he died, and because he's resurrected now, his washing, his purification, his perfection and purity becomes our washing, our purification, our perfection and purity. Because of Jesus, you are washed, washed clean. You know what else you were? Sanctified. You know what that means? Holy. Because of Jesus' holiness, because of the work that he's done, because he washed you, you are now, because of him, holy, made clean in Christ. You are also justified. The debt that we owed for all of these things that are listed here, if you are a Christian, the debt that you owed, Jesus paid. No more debt, no more wrath of God. 
Nothing else coming for your sin. It all went on Jesus. You have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in Jesus. Such were some of you, but you're different now. You have a different identity. And the trouble with us and the trouble with the church in Corinth, and I love this, just how crazy they acted. You know what Paul says to them? You are a Christian. You are. You just forgot that you were. That's true for us today. There's an invitation for you in this room right now that you might identify with any or all, or I don't know what they, what, which of these you identify, but I know you should identify with some of these nine sins. The invitation for us today, if you're in Christ, is simply this. Remember who you are. Washed, sanctified, justified. After all, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. See, God did all of that while we were sinners. He didn't wait for you to clean up, look the part. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's simply this, hey Christian, snap your brain back into remember. I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, and that's because of the work that Jesus has done. That's who I am. And I've forgotten it, I've let these four, five, six, seven other things come and steal my identity from God. I have forgotten it, but today in this moment, God has quickened my memory. I remember right now. You know what, I'm gonna keep practicing remembrance. I'm gonna keep practicing it. I'm not the person that does this, I'm the person that does this by God's grace. And then when you fall, you remember again, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be here on Sundays together. And it's also one of the reasons why we take communion every single week. Because it says do it often, and when you do, remember the gospel. My memory is not great. Neither is yours. I need the remembrance that Christ died once for me. That's all it took. He died for me, it's sealed. There is a new covenant that's not the old covenant. The old covenant that I had to work in, Jesus comes and establishes a new covenant and fulfills all of the law on my behalf. I need that. I need to remember it. I need to taste the bread. I need to taste the wine and remember that God alone is both good and satisfies me. I need it every single week. You do too. I don't know what you've grown up with. I don't know what you've been used to, but I, this is important for us. We need the people around us to remind us who we are. We need the preaching of the word. We need to read the Bible. We need God, the Holy Spirit. We need all of that. We need it. So everybody with a bad memory, everybody who's forgotten today, Man, every step you are about to take towards this table is a step of repentance and remembrance. And you're saying, I may have forgot, but man, I'm about to walk down to that place and be remembered. I'm about to eat this body that was broken and drink this cup of new covenant for me. If you're not a Christian in the room, I'm proud of you even for enduring this sermon up to this point, to be honest. My hope is that God is working on your heart. What I'm telling you today is not a joke. This is real. There is a God who brought you here not by some crazy coincidence. He brought you here because he's after you. He wants you. 
And there's all kinds of different options out there to serve, worship, whatever, but there's only one God, truly. And I would invite you not to come to this table. It wouldn't make sense for you to take communion today. It's a meal of faith. It requires faith. I, I told the first service, it's not like the bread is super good. We didn't like put garlic butter on it or anything. The wine and the juice, I mean, it's just, you know, we run a pretty tight budget. It ain't the best juice or wine. You're not missing out on, but it's taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you have not done that, then this doesn't, this is not any good to you at all. If you've been baptized in the faith, man, if you follow Jesus, I want to invite you to come. But if you're not a Christian, I'm so proud of you for being here. Uh, Please don't take this meal. It wouldn't make sense. There's multiple people around you that you've come with that you're welcome to take it however you want. I would suggest taking it with people. Um, And if you're serving the table, why don't you go ahead and come forward and the rest of us, let's stand.